Skip talked last week that he said the title of his message was Walking It Out. And I think that's what I would title today's message. Um, But I would append it with the words with purpose. Walking it out with purpose. See, because my my personality, and I don't know if I was just this way. I'm sure I wasn't taught to be this way. I don't know if I had some gifting that the Lord had given me that I walked in that allowed me to maybe be a little bit lazy or sloppy. But I am so often a ready, shoot, aim kind of person. Um, The butterfly flies past my nose, I follow the butterfly. A different one comes, I go in a different direction. I get a thought, I go. Dana says, not every thought you get is from the Lord, Pat. You need to be careful. I've never been super disciplined in the area of planning and preparation. But I think that's what the Lord is speaking to us today. Church on the Street. um, When we were first asked to pastor a church, you know, a church plant from the Freedom Center, every week... We'd have meetings with Pastor Jim and Dean over at the Freedom Center, and they were mentoring us, and they would always, Pastor Jim to me would always say, I need to see your vision. What is your vision for the church? You've got nothing to rally around. God's got a vision for this work. What is it? And I never had an answer. Honestly, I just, I had no vision at all. Nothing. Matter of fact, we said yes to the job because they had a vision. We didn't feel any leading from God. But we didn't know what we were supposed to do, and we weren't doing anything. And it's, well, okay, maybe Dina and Pastor heard God, you know. As soon as we got the name, Teresa and I together, church on the street, it was like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, heaven just opened up and started pouring down on us what this was supposed to be. So church on the street... For us, I mean, there's not too many church on the streets. There's somebody that beat us to the dot-com for church on the street, but it's not a common church name. But it's our church name for a purpose because God wants in us to have a culture, a mindset, a, a paradigm of thinking that says this is church, but this isn't all church is, that we're supposed to be church all the time. The problem with church on the street is it's always been God's plan, but it's not very well been walked out by the church. We tend to do pretty good when we're together and to you know, different levels and degrees, not so good when we're apart. So when you're hearing today's message that talks about vision and purpose and, and whatnot, think in terms of, like Teresa said, it really is the Lord speaking to you. Becca prayed it, believe it's true. He's speaking to us corporately and he's speaking to us individually. Let me start you with two scriptures. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4a. And when you see, do we have that one? When you see scriptures up here, the dot, dot, dots should probably be, they're continuing the sentence. Whenever you see that, when I put a scripture up, that'll tell you that it's part of a verse. There's more, there's more coming. So when you read it, you need to read it in context. Um, each one must examine his own work. That's what the Holy Spirit's had me really doing here for the last few weeks. This is kind of like a New Year's. You, know, you make New Year's resolutions. You, you think about what are you doing, what aren't you doing, what could you do better, those kinds of things. And the Bible says that we must examine our own work. We should stop. We should take pause, and we should look to see what we're doing. We should not be, uh, gosh, it seems like I use this analogy for everything, this picture, but we shouldn't be a, sh- a, a ship with great big sails out in the middle of a windy ocean and no rudder. Right? A plan 
is like a rudder that you put down in the water that helps you to get from where you're at to where you're supposed to be. You're likely to get someplace, right? Because the wind is blowing and you've got big sails. You're going to get someplace, but it might not be the place that you're supposed to go. So the scripture says that we should examine our own work. When I worked at HP, we always had these, anybody that works in a shop is probably familiar with this too, these quality control processes. Plan, do, PDCA, I think, plan, do, check, act was what we'd do. We'd make a plan, we'd do the plan, we'd check to see if the plan A was any good, or B, was it, were we actually executing it properly? And if we found that the plan needed to be tuned, the acting was to tune the plan, and then we would do the plan. Then we would check the plan, and then we would act on that, and it was this life cycle that we would continually do. We need to do that in the church as well. Examine our own work. The second scripture, when Teresa and I were up at this um, pastor meeting in Traverse City, uh, the teacher, the guy was an amazing teacher, actually a rocket scientist, PhD in astrophysics or some kind of thing like that, Christian leader. So he had, he was smart, he had a perspective, like an engineer's mindset, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, really excellent teacher. And he used this scripture, Proverbs twelve eleven, and this one is in the NIV, I believe. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. And what the, what the Holy Spirit is saying in this proverb and in this verse is that we have to work the land. Sowing comes before reaping. We could wish, and sometimes God does things just divinely, but that's not how he's telling us that we should plan our lives and our ministries and our walk with him. We don't just buy land and say, man, are we going to have some corn this year and wait for the corn to happen. You have to work the land. You have to till it. You have to put the seed in the soil. You have to keep the weeds out of the soil. You have to actually go get the corn and harvest it in. The guy that, that, that constantly just waits that God is going to do just divinely in the absence of any effort, any plan, or any work is fantasizing. It's not reality. It's not how the kingdom is built. It's not how the reality of the world is built. So this scripture really spoke to me because sometimes I think I'm a fantasy guy. In some areas of my life, tremendous discipline. In other areas of my life, not so much. And the Holy Spirit is really speaking to me for us. And I think he's speaking to you for this church, but for, for ourselves personally along the same lines. You know, sometimes we'll have a budget for our money. If we get a big project to do at work, we'll have a plan for that. Do we have a plan for how we're going to grow in the Lord? You know, God had a plan, right? He, he knew, Scripture teaches that God knew before the foundations of this earth that this creation that he was going to do called man was going to fall. And he had a plan. His plan was Jesus, right? His plan was a virgin girl. His plan was Bethlehem. He had a plan. All these things he knew about beforehand. And he had to cause things to happen in the plan so that ultimately we could call on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and get back into a right standing place with God. He had to cause the Roman authorities to call a census because he had to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem where he had prophesied the Messiah would be born. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have met the standard of the prophecy to be the one, right? He had to send the angel. He had a plan. So for us then... And the church, before I start to talk about vision and purpose, we just need to look at, are we being effective? Are we tracking to the plan? Are there things that we could do better? 
And just a short side note, it's hard for me. You know that I'm like a, a sales guy, right? I, I understand sales. Above quota, below quota. Hero, bum. That's the way I was raised in the business world. But this is tough because people in general, and, and Christians too, carry around facades. Everybody looks okay most of the time. You can't really see the subtle changes that are happening in people's lives. But I was blessed today. I was back um, over by one of the cafeteria tables, and I saw Debbie and Dean and Karen come in, and they couldn't get past the greeters without getting prayed for. See, that's a good day right there. That's the way the kingdom ought to be. Somebody walks in, somebody sees a need, let's address the need right now. It's part of the plan. Heal the sick. It's awesome. Bless your hearts. If you were praying for Debbie this morning, if you said you can't even have your coat off before I pray for you, amen. I say amen to that. Okay, so let me share the vision. It's been, gosh, a while since we did this. When we first started, everybody that we had the opportunity to invite, we made sure they understood the vision and the mission that we felt God laid on our hearts for church on the street because you've got to connect with it. If you don't connect with the vision, then it's hard to... It's hard for the Holy Spirit to stir you into the place to, to, to walk out your role within the bigger plan. So let me share with you the vision. And it's interesting. I, I went and looked at all this stuff with a thought towards, you know, maybe we didn't get it all right. Maybe some of it was us and not God. And I was prepared to, to change it if the Holy Spirit, if I really thought that that's where he was sending me. But <clears throat> other than just a comma and a period or two, it's, it's right on with where he started us off um, a little over two years. Man, I'm sorry, a little over two years ago. So I'll read it to you if I can. The vision for Church on the Street is based in the belief that as the church, both individually and collectively, we are to be the incarnate love of Jesus everywhere we go. Christianity is not a Sunday activity, but an always, everyday way of life. Getting church, us, out of the building and into the world to express the love and character of Jesus to all. If I stop right here for a second, um, well, we've had for sure three guest speakers. I'm trying to think there's been more than that. But, but for sure the three guest speakers that came here, each one of them was impressed to tell us after they'd been here at church with you that they were overwhelmed by the sense of love that they felt. So there's something, we don't want to ever be complacent in the area of love, but, but there's something that the Holy Spirit is stirring in us that other people notice, which is the thing that Jesus said people would be able to tell that you are truly his disciple if they could sense, that they would see that love that you have for each other. So in the area of love, I really feel like um, we've kind of hit our stride and we're doing pretty well, and it's confirmed by people that, that don't come here every week. It's really cool. Okay, continuing. As the church, we're to demonstrate and advance the kingdom of heaven on earth in both power and love. We're called to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, encouragement, and discipleship, we will see lives changed ever-increasing spiritual fruit, and people being transformed into the likeness of Christ. They will know we are his disciples by our love one for another. So that's the vision that God gave us for this piece of his church. Things like to be the incarnate love of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. 
That's a tall order because we're going to go to places where people aren't so lovely. Someone's going to take our parking spot. Um, who knows what it might be? But we are called to be the incarnate love. Incarnate means here. Jesus was God incarnate with man. Oh, thank you. You know, it's so funny. I think Teresa had a word of knowledge this morning. She said, should I get you a bottle of water? And I said, no. But I actually could use the bottle of water. <clears throat> thank you, J.D. Christianity, a way of life, not a Sunday activity, not a check mark on your little going to heaven card. It's a way of life. It's every waking moment. And we're starting to learn from Scripture that it's even when you're not awake, that the Holy Spirit, that God works in us, that he does work while we're sleeping. It's always. You are never not a Christian. You're never off the clock, right? If you were at a job and you punch in and you punch out, you said, Jesus, come into my heart. I give my life to you. You punched in. You don't punch out ever. Eternity, you're there all the time. That's to be a Christian. Demonstrating the kingdom in power and in love. Everything, everything. The Bible talks about being rooted in love. It talks about love being the, the connecting tissue, the bonding agent for the body of Christ. Outside of love, nothing works. So power without love, it's nothing. Prophecy, Paul says, you're just a noisy gong. You're just a, a clanging cymbal. But power in love is the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God here, incarnate just like we're incarnate. He's in us. Making disciples of Jesus. We're to grow. He didn't say make converts, although a disciple doesn't happen unless somebody's been converted to Christ, right? But we're to make disciples of all nations. Us, ourselves, to be disciples and to make disciples. And then seeing transformation... And it comes, I, I talked about in, where did I say this? Um, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, encouragement and discipleship. How, do you, how, how many of you know that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just this, um, I want to use spiritual, but it's too many times the same word. It's not this nebulous, weird thing that happens. It can be, but the power of the Holy Spirit is, is inside of me. It's, it's when I talk to somebody on the phone, how you doing? They say, great. I don't think so. I don't think you're so great. Tell me the truth. Well, I'm not so great. That's the power of the Holy Spirit because he uses his people to get his work done. Love, encouragement, everybody encouraging one another. It's so important. It's so powerful when we encourage. That's why we, I think Holy Spirit had us put that word in there. We, we sometimes want to step back and say, okay, man, Holy Spirit, do your work. But, but the way the Holy Spirit does his work, he uses John to work on me. He uses Millie to work on me. He uses Millie to work on Marcy. Sorry, I almost said Hunter. <laughs> to work on Marcy. And he uses his spirit inside of us from the outside in and from the inside out. But we have to invest ourselves as disciples in his word, in prayer, so we can learn to hear his voice. Bearing fruit. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from being attached to the vine as a branch, John 15 we can't do anything. We'll bear no fruit. Any kind of fruit we think we bear outside of that 
that we draw from the vine that is Jesus Christ is not true kingdom fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We are called to bear fruit. We are called to encourage each other to do good works that God prepared for us before the foundations of this world. Bearing fruit. And then marked, labeled, and known by our love for one another. It takes effort to love people. It's not, it is. Love can be a very emotional state of mind. But love is a choice thing that we have to do. And oftentimes, if, if you feel called to do something, that if you actually did it, that would be love, and you don't want to, it's the Holy Spirit working with you in two different ways. It's not just that you will walk out love as he's calling you to walk it out when you don't want to. He's teaching you to see yourself at the same time so that he can use that experience to transform you, to change you, to make you more and more into the image of Christ. Okay? The incarnate love of Christ. Christianity being a way of life all the time, every day, everywhere. That we would demonstrate the kingdom in power and love. That we would make and be disciples. That we would be transformation. (laughs) Transformed. That we would bear fruit and that we would be marked, labeled, and known by our love for each other. Okay. The next part here is kind of the mission and purpose that we have. And this is where, as, as we become more purposeful in planning, in walking out this thing that God's given us to do, this is what's going to drive our plan. So the first one is to be people who demonstrate God's love and compassion. As we walk out Christianity... I'm literally, for Church on the Street, going to plan for ways that we can grow in this area. I don't know exactly what all that is. I know one thing is to demonstrate it, to model Jesus' love in my own life. We'll make it, pardon me, we'll make it contagious in other people's lives. So the first is that if, if somebody said, uh, Pastor Pat, if somebody were to look at a person in your church, what would you want them to look like? Maybe that's a good way to describe some of these things. The next one is to be agents of God, evangelizing our communities around the world. I was so blessed by the two messages that Chris Dickerson preached a couple weeks ago, where he actually, you know, tracks are not kind of the cool way to evangelize now, right? Passing out tracks is like, Yeesh. you know, it's, but, but it's a good way to have a conversation with somebody. It's a good way. We're going to order business cards, little business cards that will help you. If, you. if you put a couple in your wallet and a couple in your purse and God leads you to a place and you're not, or a person, you're not altogether ready yet to have that conversation, at the very least, you can introduce yourself. And if they don't have a church and you want to invite them to church, you can give them a little piece of paper that's got all the information they need to come to church. And then the whole body can start to love on them. We have to be planful and purposeful about evangelism. I really think if, if we had a report card, I don't know that we'd get a passing grade in that area right now after a couple of years of being a church. To be a people worshiping God corporately and personally. When we worship God corporately here, there's power in worship. And there's a... Um, it's not a multiplying effect, it's a magnitude effect. You know how the Bible talks about if one could set a 1,000 to flight, two could set 10,000? It's not a linear curve, it's an exponential curve of how presence grows, how power grows in a corporate worshiping environment. But we can worship personally, same way, I do, 
almost every day. I mean, I read my Bible every day and I pray every day, but I don't always worship every day, you know, sing worship. Biblically, if you were to take and look at like the Hebrew word behind worship, it's always to be prostrate. Prostrate, face down. It's a place of humility before the Lord. It's a recognition of his holiness and his perfection and his power and his goodness and every attribute and how we fall so short to that standard. It's not a beat yourself up position. It's a position that recognizes how awesome God is. It's laid down. It's literally on your face. Oh my gosh, you are so holy. I can't even look at you, God. You're so wonderful. That's the lifestyle of of personal worship is humility. It's rooted in humility, in seeing others more important than yourself. It's worship to God when you do that. Loving people is worship to God when you do that. To make disciples as a channel of God's purpose, with his spirit, building a body of saints, being perfected in the image of his son. Ultimately, evangelism and discipleship is the root of Christianity. It expands the kingdom, and then it turns people into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The other things, well, maybe worship too, to worship God. But love is a function of getting that done. But making of disciples is literally... See, I don't know that this is excellent doctrine, but it paints a decent picture. Maybe originally when God created mankind, it was to be kind of a bride person for Jesus. And then we fell, and you know he had to engage his plan that he knew he was going to have to engage. But at least for sure now it's good doctrine to know that, that we are the, the, the betrothed. We're not yet the bride. We're the betrothed of Jesus Christ. And the, the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us is to smooth out all the wrinkles and to clean off all the spots all the imperfections so that Jesus has a bride that's worthy of his goodness whenever we go to be with him. And that's what we do when we disciple one another and when we submit ourselves to discipleship is we are becoming, a little easier probably for the ladies than the men to to grasp the concept of bride, but if you think as a man, if you think of the bride, that you know, the perfect without spot or wrinkle, the one that you know, you're not worthy to have, me either, but if you think about that, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, and that's what we're to help him with with each other, is to present to Jesus a bride without spot or wrinkle, worthy to his goodness. To continually walk with the Holy Spirit, seeking his gifts, his power, and his fruit in our lives. Walking with the Holy Spirit is so powerful. So powerful. And I know, to some extent, every born-again person does it. I was going to save this. We're going to start um, talking about marriage relationships maybe sometime next month. I'll share a story with you. Um, Teresa and I, for the last, oh gosh, I want to say year anyway, have had to work at our marriage way more than we have ever in the past. Um, I think a lot of that, God used Annika to show us areas that we didn't think the same, that we weren't one in these certain areas. And we've had to constantly walk out being Christ-like in our marriage. And mostly we've done okay, not always great, and sometimes really not so good at all. All that leads to maybe... 
I don't know, three, four weeks ago, we were um, not agreeing about something. And, and honestly, our worst day never has yelling or screaming or name-calling or anything like that. But it's our worst day, and it feels pretty rotten to us. So anyway, I was very frustrated. She was very frustrated. It was time to go to sleep. Therese was already in bed. And I literally picked up my pillow, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go sleep someplace else tonight. It's just, I'm just done with this. And I walked over to my desk to get my phone charger. So wherever I was going to sleep that night, I'd be able to plug my phone in and it'd be charged when I woke up. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. This is probably the fourth or fifth time that he spoke this scripture to me that says, don't let the sun sit on your anger. And, and every time he's spoken that to me, but one, I've been obedient. And the one time I wasn't, I was going to be, but he was speaking it to Teresa for, too and she did it first. She was, she was quicker to obedience than I was to put the flesh down. And I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I stood there. I heard him speaking to me. And I said, no, I'm, not tonight, Lord. You're just going to have to listen to me beg for forgiveness tomorrow because I know I'll be crying all over you. And I said, no. I started to scoop up my pillow. And the Holy Spirit read the rest of that scripture to me. And the rest of that scripture is, and don't give the devil a foothold. I'm thinking, holy smokes, man, my door's about as wide open to Satan as it could ever be right this minute, and I'm about to give him more space. Put the pillow down, put the phone charger down, went over to the bed, and I said, we cannot go to sleep without resolving this. I cannot imagine. If Holy Spirit had to speak that loud to me, he knew what was coming. And I almost said yes to it. But I didn't. Why? Because I was walking with the Spirit because He loves us so much that He's going to continue to work on us so that we don't do stupid things. Now, somebody would have had that experience and said, look at how mean God is, how He's doing all these bad things to me. But that's not at all what was going to happen. What was going to happen is I was saying, Satan, come on in here and just mess more with my marriage and my family. and just." Ugh. Anyway, the point is we have to walk with the Spirit. And if we will walk in the Spirit, I believe personally, and I believe Scripture teaches, I think this is good doctrine, that a Christian does not need to sin, ever. People say, when they're leading someone to the Lord, they're trying to, they're trying to make it nice, and they'll say, well, you know, you're going to still sin, but it's okay because of grace. Well, there is grace if, if your heart is truly belongs to Jesus, but I don't believe you have to. If you'll invest yourself in Jesus as Lord, in, in wanting to know how he thinks, what he expects, how he wants you to live, in that process, you will tune your hearing to the Holy Spirit. And literally, if you sin, it's because you chose to. Okay, walking in the Spirit's a big deal. Seeking his gifts, his power, and his fruit. Love, joy, peace. There wasn't any of that in my life that night between Teresa and me, Right? But when I walked with the Holy Spirit and obeyed and honored what he was telling me, it came back. Because it's a fruit. You can't be in the Spirit and reap the flesh. It's just not possible. It's a law. That law won't be broken. Okay, the last one. And this one was implied, but it's new. It's literally explicit and new. And that is to be a family of believers, knit in community, loving and serving one another, as the Scriptures teach. See, the Bible tells us how we're supposed to be with each other. We're supposed to be a family, right? Brother so-and-so, sister such-and-such. It's family. All with the same daddy, God. Jesus is our brother. Full heirs to everything that the kingdom has to offer. 
in community. Brothers and sisters, family, in community, walking out relationship the way the Bible teaches, carrying one another's burdens. When somebody's got a burden that's too heavy, somebody's going to step in and help them carry it. That's walking with the Spirit. Treating others more important than they are. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's so many wonderful relationship scriptures that if we'll just walk them out, you can't have bad relationships. Just can't. You might have tested relationships, but you won't have bad relationships. So when we plan for the things that we do and the messages that we speak, and we're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to help us with things that will strengthen us in love, cause us to be people that reach out to the community, that we are a worshiping community personally and corporately, that, that we're being made disciples and that we're making disciples, that we're walking with the Holy Spirit and that we love and we interact as a family and community, not just people that bump into each other on Sunday. Okay. Let me take you in just a little direction now, a little different direction. I want to try to um, paint a picture. Uh, I'm not sure if I, I think I did. Is John twenty twenty one next up, Chris? Okay, put that one up there. Jesus said that as the Father sent him, so he is sending us. So anywhere you can see how Jesus thought, how Jesus acted, the things that Jesus did, it was always in obedience to the Father. He said, I don't say anything I didn't hear the Father saying. I only do what I see him doing. And you'll notice so many times in the, in the Gospels that Jesus will feed 5,000 people. He'll put the fellows on a boat and send them across the lake. But he goes up on the side of the mountain by himself to pray. He knew what the Father was doing because he spent time with the Father in prayer. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure he operated in the gifts of the Spirit. He would have words of knowledge and words of wisdom that came in an instant, and he was able to speak them out. But he knew the Father's heart because he invested himself to spend time with the Father. So, you have God in the world, right? And then God chooses this guy, Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I will make a great nation of you. And he starts down this process of walking out this covenant of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes. And he had the prophets and he had all the process and the law. And he said, then it's time for a new program. Right, a better covenant, and that was mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. So Israel, at least Israel, and, and the nations around Israel had a picture of God, right? But it was an incomplete picture of God because it was a picture that was built out of a relationship from a covenant that had a purpose that was ending. So one of the reasons, well, the Bible says lots of reasons why God sent Jesus, right? He sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil, he sent Jesus to save that which was lost. But how about if also he sent Jesus to put a face on himself? Right? In a couple of times in John, chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on you know him and have seen him. In the same chapter, verse 9, Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So God sent Jesus to put a face on himself, on God the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you know what God looks like. What did he do on the Mount, uh, the, the Transfiguration, right? Uh, James and Peter and John 
follow Jesus up to the top of this mountain. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to radiate. I mean, he's literally in his glory. He's transfigured. That's the same word that in Romans 12, 2, we see as transformed when he's talking about us, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's that magnificent, that awesome of a change, that complete of a change as Jesus now glowing in his glory. And standing on one side of him is Elijah, and on the other side of him is Moses. Elijah represented the prophets. Moses represented the law. God radiated. He, he glorified his son in between the prophets and the law. The prophets and the law were everything that Israel had. It was their picture of God. And what did he say? This is my son. Listen to him. If you've seen the son, you've seen the father. Now Jesus walks out his part of the plan, right? What's his part of the plan now? He sits at the right hand of the father, constantly interceding for us, praying, interceding. Is prayer important? It must be. If you're sitting on the throne in heaven and your job in the program is to pray, it must matter. He sends his spirit. Somebody confesses him, gets full with the Holy Spirit. What's our job now? It's a lot of things, but maybe part of our job is to put a face on Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the, the Lord the Spirit. So when we look in the mirror and we start to see Jesus, the process is happening. More and more from glory to glory to glory to glory. How does glory happen? Glory happens in the presence of God. Glory happens in his word. Glory happens when he speaks to you. Glory happens when you pray for somebody. Glory happens when you hug somebody, when you love somebody, when you walk out. Christianity, being transformed into the perfect likeness of Jesus, a bride without spot or wrinkle. J.D., if you guys are in here, I'd love to have you back. Um... If you started maybe coming down now, that would be awesome. Shane and I were talking this morning a little bit about um, what we were talking about wrestlers and how some wrestlers, some, some young people that want to be a wrestler never make it to high school. There's 10,000 little kids at little kid wrestling tournaments, but in high school there's teams that forfeit weight classes. And we were saying maybe some of that is because they never reach their potential. Um, some are early bloomers. Some are later bloomers. The ones that are later bloomers, they might get discouraged before they actually start to bloom. And they're the kids that, you know, I don't know, maybe they're in the choir or something in high school, but, but they're not on the wrestling team anymore. But maybe they were going to be a really, really good wrestler. We have to be careful. I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. I was a little embarrassed. I led somebody to the Lord or tried to, but I didn't remember exactly what to say. It was very uncomfortable. That if we think that until we feel ready to raise the dead, we're not ready to do anything, we'll do nothing. We'll literally do nothing. God is working, each and every one of you, to his... How does that scripture go? To his, to, to his will and to his, his pleasure? I don't know. 
It's a scripture, trust me. You should look it up. It's a good one. Anyway, he's working inside of us, and he's going to put us in uncomfortable positions to test us. Instead of thinking about, wow, you know, that was uncomfortable. I never want to do that again. Let's start thinking about, wow, what is God trying to work out in me? What was I supposed to learn from that experience? Hmm, maybe I need to study a little bit more so that if he puts me in that spot again, I'll be more prepared. So, in the context of all this stuff, you know, a vision that's three paragraphs long and a purpose that's five statements about things like worship and evangelism and community and love and all that kind of stuff. If you want to boil it down to God sent Jesus so that we could see his real face, not the face that you only could tell, the the angle looking through the prophets or the the little bit of angle looking through the law, but the full-on what's God like, it's Jesus. Now, when we're out in the world and we're being church on the street, and that's just our name, there's not a Christian anywhere that's not supposed to be church on the street. Let's put a face on Jesus. Let's start in our homes. If it's scary to be Jesus in public, let's just be Jesus at home, in front of our children, in front of our husbands, in front of our wives, our brothers, our sisters, our parents. Let's be Jesus there. Safe place to practice, right? They put up with us all these years. They'll probably put up with us as we act a little bit like Jesus. Let's do it at work. Shane again. Shane works in a public school. You have to be a little bit careful about your evangelism in a public school. Doesn't mean you can't look just like Jesus, though. That you can't be a loving person, a a laid-down, humble person, worshiping God in your attitudes. And then everywhere we go, we don't have to be ready to raise the dead. I actually tried it. Didn't work. I hope to get another opportunity. I really do. I really do. I want to stand up here and say, I raised a dead guy. God came and God got right up. If I don't die from shock, I'm going to tell you about it when that happens. (laughs) Seriously, I promise. I'll take notes. (laughs) The first song we sang, if you just start, I'm going to invite people to come up here in a minute. Maybe we'll just sing that one as we pray. The second worship song. Yeah, that one. Yep. So, Let's go back to where we started. Let's, let's be purposeful and examine ourselves. As a church, there's so many... We're not about, honestly, we're going to have lots of stuff. We've got three support groups already, right? And that's excellent. But the, the word that God spoke to us was simplicity. Keep, keep it simple. Let's stay focused on the things. Now, that doesn't mean that a, a adoptive mom support group is not excellent and needed. It doesn't mean that a homeschool support group isn't a wonderful, perfect thing to do. It really is. But from the, the perspective of how we establish our plans, where we're going to spend our money, and how we're going to do things, it's going to be based around those five things that we talked about earlier today. Let's do that personally as well. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to search us. Let's examine ourselves. And, and you don't have to boil the ocean, right? You don't have to boil the ocean. You don't have to eat the whole elephant in one seating. The Holy Spirit wouldn't ask you to do that because we wouldn't. we'd just go tilt. A little bit. He'll show you something. Say, excellent, God. Let's work on that. He showed me lots. I mean, I've, I've walked out pride. I mean, I'm, I'm probably more true to say I'm walking out pride, gossip, selfishness, selfishness again. Um, lots of things that he shows me. He shows me. I'm like, okay, I don't want to be like that. I need your power. I need to bear fruit. Let's do that. Good fruit. No fantasies. Work the land. God's given us a plot. One of the things we're going to talk about in the near future is 
How's he calling you? What's he calling you to do? You know, who's he calling you to be? One of my favorite things is I think God's called me to be an encourager. I, I just so love encouraging people. And it's not that I just think about, man, if I could just go find so-and-so and just tell them they're wonderful. It just, it's an anointing that comes. He's got stuff for all of us because he made us special. Just all of us how we are. So let's have purpose. Let's plan. Let's be conscious to be the incarnate love of Christ. Stand up with me. Matter of fact, if you feel, I would love to invite you to come down and offer yourself to God in such a way that he, you're telling him that, Lord, help me to be your incarnate love of your son. Every day, everywhere, all the time, demonstrating your kingdom and power and love, making disciples, being disciples, being transformed. Lord, transform me. Change me. Use people. Use your spirit. Use your love. Change me. Transform me. Renew my mind. Lord, I want to bear fruit and that we would ultimately be marked, labeled, and known by our love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that every person in this room would be stirred by your spirit. Every person that's come up to lay self down that they might be more like Jesus. That every place in our being that doesn't reflect your beauty and your perfection any area of our mind that doesn't have an expectation of good is under the influence of a lie. I pray that you meet them here, Lord, that you honor their boldness, and that you give us those things that you tell us we should desire and bust away anything that would hinder it from happening. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.